I'm Matsudiso, a musician, songwriter, producer and composer. I also teach. I'm fascinated by process, how we make what we make, why we make what we make. As a musician, I'm always learning from and inspired by other creatives, other musicians, artists, the arts itself, people. In short, life all inform the music I make. And I think that learning from others enriches not only our own art, but the arts. And why holding up the ladder? Well, because we're all trying to get somewhere and I think we build something stronger if we help each other. If we hold up the ladder rather than pull it up from under us as we climb. I'll be talking to all kinds of creatives about process, lessons learned, things that inspire us, the music we're listening to, what makes us who we are and the help we've had along the way. So join me as we climb, holding up the ladder. I don't know about you, but I love eating. I may love eating more than I love music, or at least they are very close contenders for first place. If you're like me, you'll remember a meal you ate a year, five, ten years ago, and out of nowhere in the middle of the day, be caught reminiscing about said meal and planning on when you can have it again. I still daydream about eating a kohlrabi and little gem lettuce salad I ate in Tel Aviv in 2016, or in the same year, 2016 was clearly a good year for food for me, a delicious Senegalese meal I ate in a vintage-looking bistro on a quiet side street of the 20th arrondissement in Paris, run by a warm, softly-spoken, half-Senegalese, half-Malian gentleman. Which is why I'm excited to have on today's episode, Chef Pierre Thiam. The land is there, you know, we, we, Senegal is located in an area, area called the Sahel, so that's far south of the Sahara. We have lots of land that's arid, you know, and, and Fonio can thrive in an area like this. Not only it thrives, but it restores the topsoil because it has deep roots that fixates the nitrate and, and it keeps the, the water. And you keep the, the roots on the soil after you harvest Fonio, so it adds nutrients to the soil. Hailing from Dakar in Senegal, now residing in New York, Pierre is an author, restaurateur, social entrepreneur and culinary ambassador. He is the executive chef of award-winning restaurant Nok by Alara in Lagos, Nigeria, signature chef of the five-star Pullman Hotel in Dakar, executive chef and co-owner of Taranga, a fast casual food chain in New York, rooted in traditional African culinary traditions and founder of Yelele Foods, a company that advocates for smallholder farmers in the Sahel, opening new markets for crops grown in Africa, particularly the superfood, Fonyo, which we talk about in detail in our interview. Chef Tiam also has a number of beautiful cookbooks celebrating Senegal and the rich culinary traditions of West Africa. You know, when they think of Africa, they never think of food, they never think of, you know, abundance, and they never they think of scarcity, they think of, you know, everything, the, the, the media, everything that's been portraying Africa has been, most, for the most part, very negative, you know. And, and food is like an experience that's positive. So the, the audience themselves are not even 
ready for that because they they don't think of it you know it's just they're not prepared for it mentally they've been bombarded with all these these famines in africa people who are hungry or just like uh, riots and wars and that's you know and that's really not the africa that i know you know uh, i grew up in in senegal and it was you know for the most part very more, much more peaceful than than chicago or, or new york at the time and, and we talk about Pierre's journey from a student of physics and chemistry in Dakar to the kitchens of New York. We talk about the politics of food, food justice and food deserts. We talk about sustainability, how lifestyle desires of people in the West can negatively impact farmers across the world. We talk about the far-reaching disruptive effects of colonialism on farming, how crops from as far afield as Vietnam have impacted the Senegalese diet. We talk about how Pierre's cultural heritage has shaped his work and what he values. And we attempt to settle the long-standing argument of which country in West Africa makes the best jollof rice. Hint, it's not Nigeria and it's not Ghana. Do we dare go there and say who started jollof first and also who makes the best jollof? Do we dare, do we dare start? Do we dare? Well, the, the first one is easy. The Senegalese started jollof. Jollof means Senegal, right? Jollof is... The, the traditional name for Senegal. And of course, we talk about music. Pierre Tiam, thank you so much for agreeing to come on uh, the podcast today. I'm really excited and grateful for you taking the time. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So for those who don't know, you are a chef. You run many restaurants. You are executive chef at Nok Bailar in Lagos. You're the signature chef of the Pullman Hotel in Dakar. You also are executive chef and co-owner of um, the fast food casual chain in New York, Taranga. You founded a company called Yelele Foods. And you also have lots of cookbooks and you also have set up a foundation. Um, so I'm looking forward to discovering a lot more about that, but I like to always start at the beginning. And um, I love what you said. I read somewhere you said, you know, food is a universal expression of love and communion, which is wonderful. As a musician, I think the same thing about music. Mm. So let me tell me, you were born and raised in Senegal. You now live in New York. Tell us how you got started, how you became a chef. Wow, that's a that's a long <laughs> a long process. You know, I, I was in Dakar. I was born in Dakar, and I was a student of, in physics and chemistry at Dakar University. So I was never uh, thinking about becoming a chef, and and it makes sense because growing up in Senegal, food is a is a woman activity. You know, so as a boy growing up in Dakar, you know, I can't only dream of things that are in my universe of possibilities, and food was not. You know. Even though I loved food, you know, you grow up in Senegal, you have to love food regardless, regardless of your gender. You know, we, like, we, we are blessed with a culture that just cherishes food in a way that's, that's very special. You know, we have um, our highest value is called teranga. And teranga is just, uh, it oftentimes expresses itself with, with food sharing and food giving in particular and food giving to to, uh, the needy every day, you know, like you, you think about people who will need food and you think about sharing food with them, but also food sharing with the unexpected, you know, someone would come to your house and you give the best of what you have. You insist for them to stay for, for dinner or for lunch. You know, those are just the values that we have with, uh, we grew up with. 
and and in addition to that you know the the, the type of cuisine that we we are used to having on a daily basis is always fresh food fresh food from you know either mother or, or whoever is cooking the auntie is going to the market on a daily basis and the fish is caught today or yesterday at the most it's never like frozen or you know it's a whole fish you know the chicken is been has been just around the backyard you know being fed like grains you know anyway so free roaming chicken everything is fresh so the food is fresh and and, and good so so i grew up in that environment and then uh, in the late 80s in dakar in senegal dakar university in particular were troubled by this movement unrest you know and we we just uh, was so into this strike movement that the government decided to close to shut down the whole school system for the whole year wow. and that's for yeah that's exactly what uh, what triggered uh, a decision to to change for me it was to just go abroad and continue my studies in physics and chemistry and i got this application i was going to a school in ohio and i was going to finish, get my degree and on my way to Ohio, I decided to visit New York because I've had a friend who lived in New York. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to see my friend here. And then from there, just a couple of weeks, get New York on my checklist and then back to, off to Ohio. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, and 30 years later, I was still in New York because <laughs> an, incident, <laughs> an incident happened, you know, a, a happy incident. I got robbed. I got robbed oh. three days after I arrived in New York. And, uh, and I couldn't go to Ohio. For, I didn't have any more money. I just like, I was... I was completely depleted of, of my of everything I had with me, and uh, I had my return ticket to Senegal, or figuring out how to keep going in New York, and and that's how the first job opportunity came to be a restaurant job, mm-hmm. and and that changed everything for me. That's this is a long way around the bound to tell you how I ended up in the food business. It's great, but, but it, it's it's really started like this. I was dreaming of finding uh, working in the fields of physics and chemistry i wouldn't say dreaming because it wasn't really a dream i just happened to be good at that and and you know from high school i went to college in that field but i had no particular ambition and and then i stumbled into a restaurant world as a busboy first you know don't require any particular skill but there I, it was a cultural shock that was a quaint little restaurant in the west village of manhattan and um, and that restaurant, the first shock was there was only guys in the kitchen. <laughs> and I come from a culture where there was no guys in the kitchen. So, and and those guys were like the fun part of the restaurant. They became friends of mine. You know, some of them were immigrants like me. The chef happened to be this guy who who liked to practice his French with me, and and who really took a, you know, he 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 appreciated me. He appreciated the fact that I was a physics and chemistry student, still dreaming of going to Ohio, and mm-hmm. and he was like, you know, and he saw me just really focusing, spending a lot of time in the kitchen, looking at these beautiful dishes that were coming out of this kitchen, and and he thought, you know, he saw a potential in me, and he's like. Why don't you come and, and learn from the bottom up, you know, and you get extra money because that's what seems to be your goal. I was just looking to to hustle my way and get money and, and go out, get out of New York. I hated New York. New York was so dirty and hostile and <laughs> and, and uh, robbers and stuff, you know. So anyway, um, so that's how um, I took his offer, took his offer, and, and he gave me shifts as a dishwasher. Right. And I, and, and, and I hated it even more, you know, like this was, 
you know, I was, I was this intellectual, you know, thinking <laughs> this was below me, but this turned out to be the best, the best school ever, you know, the best school ever, because it allowed me not to be, not only to be close to the kitchen, allow me to understand, you know, that um, dishwashing, the, the smallest part of the, the level of the kitchen ladder is, is, is key to understanding the whole thing. And, uh, and from there, I started to, to do some prep work. Prep work means, you know, peeling tons of vegetables and tons of onions and, and, and peeling and then learning to chop. And then gradually from chopping, you, you know, over time, right, you, you go from there to, to garde manger, you know, and then you start to learn about the salads. And that's when you start to connect that to the chemistry that of my background, you know, because cooking is actually chemistry. And, and, and to me, I was understanding those reactions and I was really liking what I was seeing. I was like, oh, I, I love this, this instant gratification of cooking you know it's like you 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 get this you get the formulation and then and then it tastes good and and that was amazing it was like a revelation and i fell in love and and the chef kept you know guiding me into like the, the right books to read and I, I was an avid reader already from in senegal this is thanks to my mom again beside the love of food she gave me the love of, of reading and 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 there was so many interesting books that was you know foundational for for someone who wanted to become a chef and and that's how i started really for me and i i'm still an avid reader i have this um really great collection of cookbooks from all over the world and that's just something that inspires me a lot but over the years i, I went from 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 dishwasher from busboy to dishwasher to line cook to to you know and then the grill and then the saute section and and then from i left that restaurant but i had a skill now and i was like I worked with an Italian restaurant and that was a whole other set of skills and then the French bistro. And then over the years, I, you know, I just started to rethink why am I doing all these great cuisines, which was great, you know, when I'm in New York City, the so-called food capital of the world. Mm -hmm. And there's no, there's no African food that I can see that's like, you know, and, and, and I know I'm coming from a, a great food culture that has a place here. And I was inspired by, by, by this restaurant I was working at at the time in Soho. And the chef was focusing on ethnic cuisine, but mostly from Southeast Asia but he was just talented. He had been traveling in those places and he was bringing those flavors and the restaurant was doing really great. And I loved what I was cooking there, but I loved also the similarities with the place I was coming from. You know, the inspiration was like, you know, this cuisine, they were using fermentation, you know, just like us in West Africa. And, and I was like, wow, you know, there's a way to bring this. So that inspired me. And that's, you know, that restaurant was doing really well. They opened two more restaurants and one was in South Beach, Miami. And I became the one who was sent to South Beach, Miami to run that kitchen. You know, I mean, I had been, I had been already, you know, uh, promoted to sous chef at that restaurant. Then I became chef de cuisine in the Miami restaurant with a mission to start introducing even cuisines from my place. Wow. Because, I, yes, I mean, I had already started to offering those flavors to the family. That's what we call the family in the restaurant. That's a term to serve the, the staff, you know, the teammates. And before the service every day, we have a family meal. And family meal, people loved it when I was cooking food from Senegal, family meal. What kind and of I, things were you cooking? Oh, they love the, the mafe. Mafe is a peanut sauce that we, we have like in Senegal. And I actually, I served it first time as a vegan version of the mafe. I served it in a special of the restaurant. 
and uh, and it was so well received that there was coincidentally a food critic for the New York Post happened to be at the restaurant that day, and she wrote a little blurb mentioning the buffet that she had at, and and she mentioned it in a way that was you know that really I, I loved it. I was like, wow, you know, it's like I mean, I'm seeing this dish, my dish mentioned mm. in, the, in, in the New York Post, you know, this young, you know, uh, I was moved by it. And, and that really set me on this path. I was like, well, oh, there's, there's this, there's so much more to offer. You know, I was offering chicken yasa. I mean, all dish, these dishes were dishes from memory, really, you know, from dishes that I grew up eating. Like um, chicken yasa is a caramelized onion and lime chicken, grilled chicken, and um, it's served over rice. Um, Sufukanja is like the gumbo, really the original gumbo, African one with like okra and seafood, and um, you know, and and I could go on and on. So you know, it and and I started adding those those dishes as specials, you know, in Miami, and Miami was just a winter job, you know, because that's when it's the season in Miami, and then during the rest of the season I would be back in New York, but. At that point, I was like convinced, you know, I saw the hit it had in Miami and I was like, this is where I have to go. This is what I'm doing now. This is my new mission. I'm going to just bring the food from my childhood here. Mm-hmm. And that was my mother, you know, and first, you know, I was very, very nervous, you know, when I had just for a moment, I didn't tell my parents that I wasn't going, I wasn't going to Ohio, that I had decided to become a cook. So it took a couple of years for them to really realize that, you know, I had decided to become a cook you know and for me i thought this was going to be such a difficult time because you know they you know your parents especially african parents they 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 insist that you stay in school they insist that you you know you succeed and success for them has this was all in my head really you know Mm -hmm. success for them was to become a doctor an engineer or something like this and 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 when i told my parents that finally you know cooking was my thing my mom was so supportive and my father was accepting it in a way that was, I was surprised, you know, I was really surprised that <laughs> I, I, I thought it was going to be much more difficult, you know, and not only they accepted it, but my mother started exchanging recipes with me and, and discussing food with me. She loved, she was, she was a foodie in her own way, you know, Fantastic. and um, yeah. So, so over the years, you know, I, I even my first cookbook was dedicated to the food she inspired me with. Yeah, so you know, I, I traveled with a photographer, and we spent time with my family, my grandparents. My mother had passed, unfortunately, by the time that book came out. But it was really a, a tribute to her, a tribute to to women of Africa, really. And you can see in the book, uh, the photographer Adam Bartos was like a world class photographer. He took portraits of all these women of my family just like just dressed up in their just African bright colors, fabrics. And, and there's always a page in between, um, you know, different chapters of the book and just a way to just recognize the role they played in, in not only my inspiration, they, you know, without them, I wouldn't be able to take this cuisine at the international level, the way I'm doing it's all their inspiration. And, and, um, and I wanted the book to recognize that. And, and that's, um that's a long way to respond to your question but <laughs> that's how i'm i'm here <laughs> i'm here i'm still cooking you're still cooking it's a great i love i love to hear people's origin stories because there's always a reason why people do what they do and um it's funny there's um because i love eating it's like one of my favorite things to it's do. the best isn't it the best right yeah 
and there are certain meals that I'll I remember that I ate a very long time ago and I was in I was in Paris maybe about four or so years ago and there was this man he was half Malian and half Senegalese and he had this bistro and I remember the food like sometimes I think about it, I'm like when I go back I need to go and eat there it was just the mafia like you said was the, and I've had um like peanut sauces because it's a West African thing that Nigerians do peanut stew yeah. you know that yeah, Ghanaians yeah, yeah. I think as well but I remember um, this food, just the lightness of the flavors, a lot of fish. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, no, I know I love, I, well, like I say, I love eating and I love, I think sometimes when it comes to food from the African continent, it, we still, if you're not from there, you don't realize how vast and varied and nuanced and, you know, different that it is and actually I'd, I'd love to know what you think about this because you talk about your this sort of new African cuisine or pan-African cuisine and I just want to know I, I'm always wondering why um so for example here in the UK Indian food took off like I think in in the UK Indian food is like the national food of Britain right <laughs> yeah Chinese food really took off but when it's come to like West African food or even Caribbean food, it tends to be the people from those places eating it rather than other British people. And I was wondering mm-hmm. why you think, I mean, I think it's changing and your, your restaurants are evidence that it's changing, but why, mm-hmm. you, why do you think it hadn't previously taken off? Oh, there's, I think there's so many ways to explain that. And um, it's a process, you know, history, um, often has the answers to, to many, many things. And, and for in particular, when it comes to Africa and, uh, and black food, the diaspora, when I say Africa, I talk about Africa at large. Um, well, we, we haven't been uh, treated kindly in many ways. And, and I think um, that plays in people's, uh, uh, I, I think it's a mindset, you know, people, when, when I, okay, I give, let me get back to here. When I first wrote my first cookbook and, and I was being interviewed, I was being, doing the media circuit and, and this great journalist asked me this question. She was just surprised to see this African food, African cookbook. She was like, you know, when they think of Africa, they never think of food. They never think of, you know, abundance. And they never, they think of scarcity. They think of, you know, everything the, the the media everything that's been uh portraying africa has been most for the most part very negative you know and and food is like an experience that's positive that's that's just uh so the the audience themselves are not even ready for that because they they don't they don't think of it you know it's just they're not prepared for it mentally they've been bombarded with all these these famines in africa people who are hungry or just like uh, riots and wars and that's you know and that's really not the africa that i know you know it's like not the africa i grew up in and that's uh, i grew up in in senegal and it was you know for the most part very more much more peaceful than than chicago or, or new york at the time and, and 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 the food much more delicious too, you know. I mean, it was everything. The experience I had um, growing up was not what I was seeing in the news here, you know, about about Africa. So I think that's one reason that that slowed it down. And another reason, maybe it's also you know uh, the way we presented 
ourselves as well. You know, it's, um, it, you know, branding is very important, you know, the way we package it, the way, um, and I'm not saying we should uh, just denature our food, you know, I'm not saying that at all. I think the essence and being saying true to, to your food is very, very important. The authenticity is very important. Um, it's, uh, there, there are ways though um, to, to do it, you know, some, sometimes our food itself has been even uh, denatured by, by different influences, you know, uh, including for the most part, colonialism, colonialism played a role in when it comes to Senegal, that actually my second book, Senegal, that has a, a, a goes deep, really deep in it, because I'm talking about how even some ingredients have disappeared, you know, and how the, the, the colonials have, have imposed all the ingredients, you know, and by just suddenly just imp deciding which crops should be uh, favored, you know, because the, 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 like the French, for instance, they focused on, 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 on peanuts. Peanuts became a cash crop in Senegal because the French wanted peanut oil at the time. Peanut oil was very prized. And peanut became a cash crop to the detriment of other crops like, like millet or sorghum or fonio, you know, those crops that the French had no need for. You know, and 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 we had this brainwashing that made us look down at those crops. You know, because we thought, you know, they're not, you know, they're not prized by the French. They like they country people crops. Now we're looking down at them, and and we prefer to to have uh, you know, products like baguettes of, of croissants. You know, which are not our our products. You know, I mean, they. I'm not saying they're wrong because they they are delicious, but. We don't grow wheat, you know, but we eat baguette every single day in Senegal, every single day, every household in Senegal, every single day has baguette in breakfast and has baguette at dinner time. I mean, that's like amazing. And we still don't grow wheat, you know, and we have no, no products with our, our, uh, our own crops. None of those uh, in the, any, at the level of baguettes or croissants, no, nothing, you know. So that's just this mindset. We haven't accepted our products, you know, and you see it across, you know, I mean, you don't, it's not only in Senegal, but you go to other places, to Lagos, to Cote d'Ivoire, you see the same, the same phenomenon when you go to mainstreams, main streets, or you go to like the best addresses, it's never local food that's represented. It's always like Western food or, or Chinese or even Japanese now. I mean, you have all those things that are represented, but our local food, you don't see it. So, so we don't take pride in our food, you know. I mean, when I say that, of course, I'm generalizing and, and, this, and this is changing right now. It's really changing. But if we don't take pride in our food, if we don't present our food uh, in a way that's, that would make it competitive, you know, it's, 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 there's no surprise that we don't see that food being represented, you know, in all the capitals of the world, you know, even in our own capitals, you don't see our food in the best addresses. So that's, uh, you know, you know, you, you go, you go to our homes, as in the other hand, though, we still prepare our food. I mean, we still have great chewijin, great jollof rice, great mafe, you know, but that's, you have to have to go to people's home to have it, you know, thanks to the women who are still cooking those food, you know, so that's those are different reasons and what i think it's just a matter of time because the world is becoming more uh, conscious about the food you know it's like thanks to media thanks to uh, podcasts and all those things that are people bringing awareness to 
to, to the to the bigger world and 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 not only that the ingredients that african food african diaspora food are bringing are, are ingredients that are uh, great and nutritious you know and 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 not only nutritious but oftentimes great for the environment too so all those for all those reasons it's just a matter of time before this cuisine, these cuisines, because there's so many different African cuisines, before they, they, they hit, you know, the main street. And, and it's just, we're seeing the signs now, we're seeing the signs in, in many ways, you know. I mean, I'm seeing the signs with my company, Yolele, we distributing across the U.S. and, and it's leading in its category, you know, and that's, you know, and we're proudly African in any way, even in our branding, in our design, we, we like we're not sh uh, shy about it so that those are signs you know it's just a matter of time to make a long story short when i first came to new york it was french food and and, and chinese food you know and then indian food came and then thai food came and then japanese came and the japanese only came in the mid 90s and like uh, late 90s and then you know mexican came and 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 i i was so looking at this this progression and i was like it's just time and when africa is going to arrive it's going to blow their mind because Africa is coming with great, great ingredients, great cooking methods, you know, great flavors, you know, bold flavors. And that's, you know, that's just, uh, you know, that's, that's what you're seeing right now. People are looking for that. And then healthy aspect as well. Yes. People want, want to eat healthy. You know, they, they, they've been distrusting the whole big agri, big food system that's been hurting our health and the, and the environment. And, and African food is just going on the other side, you know, we're bringing those ingredients that are good for you and good for the planet. Which is, leads me very nicely on to talk about superfoods and, you know, some of the African superfoods, moringa, baobab, and then, of course, fonio, mm -hmm. um, which is like 5,000. I didn't know it was 5,000 years old. That's, that's, you know, a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And actually, I, I discovered fonio through you and what you do with your lele foods. And a friend of mine cooked it. Uh, I was somewhere and a friend of mine cooked it and it is delicious. It kind of tastes a bit like couscous, but it's lighter than couscous, has a nutty taste like couscous. But tell us, because you're already speaking about, you know, African superfoods and food that's really good for you and has a low environmental, low negative environmental impact. So tell me about your lily foods and Fonio and what you're doing with that. Okay, so your lily foods also just came in a, in a way that's very organic, you know. I was... And now this chef in New York who wanted to bring African food in the, you know, as a mission. And I realized when I wrote, wrote my first cookbook that I had to, uh, at the end of the book, I had to write a page, a couple of pages of sources, you know, where to source the ingredients. And, and it was a challenge, you know, to, for, for the readers to get the ingredients, actually the U.S. readers to get the, to have access to certain ingredients. So I was always finding substitute to those ingredients. And, and then that's when the idea started to, you know, I started to think, I have to figure out a way to bring these ingredients, you know, to, 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 to really bring the flavors, the proper flavors. That's how it started. And then, you know, as I decided to write my second cookbook, in the process of writing it, the idea for me was to travel around the country and to introduce 
the, the producers. I just didn't want the cookbook to be about just your typical cookbook. You open it and you have pictures of the food and da da da. da. I wanted the readers to to know about the source of the food. Where's that food coming from? You know how who's 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 growing these grains? Who's grow who's who's the fisherman behind the fish dish that I'm talking about here? You know, and and that's that was the process that led me to to your lele really. So I was. You know, like I said, throughout the book, you see pages, you know, where I spend time with Usman, who's this young fisherman, and he talks about his his craft. He comes comes from a family of fishermen, and he talks about how, you know, the challenges he's facing with overfishing and or countries that are bigger boats, like you know, the West from the West are coming and depleting our waters. So, so as you read that, of course, you read about his challenges, but then you read about the the fish recipes that we have in Senegal. And then I'm in the southeast of region of Senegal, this area called Kedugu, and I spent time with this woman who has a cooperative that's, that uh, processes fonio. And, and I'm like, wow, this grain is so interesting. How come even in Dakar we don't have access to this grain, you know? And it's so delicious, it's so light, you know? And, and I read more about the grain, and I find out that it's like, it's, you know, it's nutritious, it's super nutritious. It's, it's, it's gluten-free, it's like has a low glycemic index, you know, it grows in poor soil. It not only grows in poor soil, but it can restore the soil. And I'm like, I, I, I'm like, wow, this is an opportunity for me. You know, I'm like, I'm this chef, I'm in New York, you know, I have a platform, I can maybe introduce this grain to, to my audience, you know, and if I do that, I will be helping this woman and I will be helping the smallholder farmers that are growing this grain because they don't have market. They, they just grow the grain for themselves. There's no market. Even in Dakar, they don't have a market. You know, it's just for them. And, and, and supporting this grain, you support the agriculture of this grain. The, the fact that Fonio is a grain, like I say, it grows in poor soil. The land is there. You know, we, we, Senegal is located in an area, area called the Sahel. So that's far south of the Sahara. We have lots of land that's arid, you know, and, and Fonio can thrive in an area like this. Not only it thrives, but it restores the topsoil because it has deep roots that fixates the nitrate and, and it keeps the, the water and, and the roots. You keep the, the roots on the soil after you harvest Fonio. So it adds nutrients to the soil, to the, to the, 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 the soil and, and makes it, you know, restores the topsoil. So you can mitigate climate change by growing fonio. You can uh, slow the, the advance of desertification by growing fonio. And, and in addition, you can help the West or Dakar people or, or any, anybody to have a, a diversified diet because that's so important to diversify our diet because we've been so stuck with like these four grains what we're eating is like you know wheat soy corn and and rice that's pretty much what we eat on a daily basis around the globe because yeah. of the food system that's been imposed upon us by big agri you know and big agri has been so so negative on the on the on the earth you know the way they they we we, we do the practice agriculture with monoculture that's just been like destroying the earth and 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 we, when we, i can go on and on on that but this is where i started that's how your lily started i was like wow this is an opportunity let me see how i can get this grain 
to make it turn it into a world-class crop. And, and uh, so I returned to New York and I partnered with uh, my friend, Philip Tevero, who's also a veteran in the food industry who had been working with um, uh, Dean and DeLuca, getting them started into a global, what they became. And, uh, and then, you know, at the time, they were the early people who brought quinoa in, in the United States, you know. And so with that experience, I was like, we can turn this fonio into something different than what quinoa became, because we want to make sure fonio is really benefiting the, 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 the farmers, the, the locals, and, and fonio will be our first product. You know, we really had this vision to turn Yolele in this with this company that would work with smallholder farmers in Africa and identify products that are underutilized, you know, like uncommon products and, and bring them to the market, open equitable market for them. And that's how, what our mission, mission became. We started with one, um, one supermarket when we came. One supermarket gave us a chance that was Whole Foods, but they, had, they were opening a location in Harlem mm -hmm. in 2017, actually. They opened a location in Harlem and they're like, okay, you can get a, a, a part of a shelf here. And that's how it started for us. You know, we, 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 we I, I, my, personally, I was at the opening making some tastings and having people taste the fonio and, and, and different ways of presenting fonio. And every time we would do a tasting, of course, we would sold out, sold out of the whole, uh, everything, all the, all the stocks. And it did so well at, uh, at that supermarket, that Whole Foods, Whole Foods, by the way, which is the largest natural supermarket in the United States. And uh, Whole Foods uh, asked us to, to, to present Fonio in a couple of other supermarkets in New York City. And gradually we were all over New York City and then all over the Northeastern region. And today we are all over the United States. You know, we're distributing our products all over the United States. We added uh, five new products, Fonio related, you know, they're pilafs and they're all inspired by African cuisine, West African cuisine at the moment. You know, we have a Fonio Jollof Pilaf, you know, which is, has the Jollof flavor, the infamous Jollof, <laughs> and uh, which is the most popular dish, I guess, in West Africa. And uh, we have the Yasa Fonio, and people just can get those Pilafs and, 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 and in five minutes, because Fonio cooks in five minutes, that's the great thing about it. In five minutes, they can bring those African flavors in their house. We have the, you know, we have the Afro-Funk, Fonio, which has dawa dawa, which is a fermented locust bean that you see around West Africa. And, and as we use those products, those, the, the products that are included in the Fonio pilafs, we use products that are grown by those farmers, products that are also underutilized and that are good for your health. You know, we have the greens, for instance, which has moringa in it, you know, it's just, and we have baobab inside the, in our Fonio pilafs as well. So, you know, and we all, all the fonio have baobab leaves because that's a traditional way of doing fonio as well, of cooking fonio. There's always baobab leaves that makes it more, um, like, uh, it's easier to digest, you know, it, it flows, you know, so, and, but it's in addition to being nutritious. So, yeah, we, we are really um, uh, excited. You know, we, we, are, we are about to launch three flavors of fonio chips. Okay. okay. Yes, yes. About this coming this fall, three, three flavors of fonio chips, still using flavors from from West Africa as well, and uh, and 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 that's that's you know right now we are distributed in over one thousand supermarkets around the country and and online of course you know Thrive Market, Amazon, our own shop online, yolele.com, mm -hmm. and it's so it's exciting. It's exciting, and we see 
um, Yolele adding gradually new new products and new ingredients, you know, to become the the African pantry. That's fantastic. Does it? Do you have? Um, do you sell to the UK? Because we do have Whole Foods here, but I don't know if you sell to the UK as well. Not not yet, but it's in the plans now. It's in the plans. Absolutely, we plan to be spreading to Europe, and of course to Africa as well. Of fantastic. course. And it's yeah. it's so interesting for me because reading all of like reading about you and the work you're doing I'm always reminded of how political food is you know and I was just listening to some of the stuff that Vandana Shiva was talking about I didn't know that Monsanto is meant to own about 60% of the world's commercial seeds mm-hmm. which is you know which cripples rural farmers so people like you that are trying to protect you know small holding farmers to to actually be able to live off the things that they're growing you know i know i was in i was in haiti some years ago after the earthquake and haitians eat american rice i mean i just like i mean it's it's a real you know like i said food really is a political issue but i'd be interested to know I, I think about, you know, the West, when, when we love a superfood, I remember goji berries, I remember rocket was a thing, and then quinoa was a thing. But, we, you know, with avocados now, they talk about it being this green gold, and you now have avocado gangs. So my, 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 my question, I suppose, or what I'm wondering is, when us in the West jump on a food that is like a super healthy food, how do we make sure that our desires for certain lifestyle choices aren't negatively impacting those people mm. that are growing the food that we're consuming? That's, that's an excellent question. That's a very good question. I mean, you know, just take the example of avocado, you know, it's like uh, every avocado you're eating, you know, oftentimes is at the um, cost of acres of Amazon forest. And or, or trees in Mexico, and I mean they 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 like killing forests to grow avocado. Mm. They, they they don't talk about it, you know. They like to talk about what they the way they do it for palm oil, you know. Because palm oil is the, the same story in in Southeast Asia. They they kill forests, you know, and they kill the habitat of the forest to grow plantations of palm oil, you know. But uh, but the difference between those ingredients, those ingredients are very good. The way they sourced is the problem. So if you source palm oil, for instance, I use palm oil. I love palm oil. You know, I use it when it's sourced naturally in West Africa, in particular. You know, there's there's different companies that that have natural palm oil. Palm oil is is is, the, is, is the, again the political aspect of it. You know, and 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 palm oil, of course, it grows in in the tropics, so that's a perfect target, and it's such a great ingredient that's been used by so many different industries mm. that it's like you know it's it's a it's, it's a challenge to other other oils you know like olive oil for instance you know so so they 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 you know it's, it's it's easy to criticize it but we don't hear the same criticism when it comes to avocado when it comes to soybeans you know but they all like doing the same practice of just destroying forests to make plantations of those two particular products. So the, the consumer has to go beyond just uh, eating what's good for you, but looking at the whole bigger picture of what's good for, for the planet at large, you know, it's like, you know, and, and, and source your products properly with the right company, you know, and, and you, you have to do your research, you know, cause every single one of us 
uh, are, we are responsible for for the changes you know that the the planet is in a in a dire situation because of the way we eat you know the way we eat is responsible for like more than 70 percent of the world potable water is used to grow our food more than 70 percent and we're talking about going into a water crisis so we have to start thinking about using ingredients that use less water you know like fonio for instance fonio is a drought resistant there's many others millet sorghum they're all drought resistant nere is drought resistant bambara beans drought resistant you know we have to think about that there's there's, there's some changes there's a, a book that just came up and i'm glad i have contributed in it it's called the future 50 foods and it's a it's behind it is unilever which is a big company you know and and sometimes you hear big names like this it could be scary but those big companies big corporations if they have the right idea you know and they decide to support they can make a bigger impact than than the smaller companies you know so and unilever has taken that lead at the moment and they came up with this book called the future 50 foods and those are the food that are sustainable and that unilever is committing to introducing them to their products list of products by 2025 and those are products that are all great for you, including fonio, including you know sweet potatoes, including many type of beans. They they protein rich and they they good for you. They are good for the planet. But at the end, you the consumer have to make sure you are supporting the right brand. You know the brand that's conscious that's doing it with uh, the planet and the the people who are growing it. They're they're, they're uh, with them in mind. You know, and uh, and for us, avoiding to fall into the same situation as quinoa, because quinoa was great until it wasn't great for the yeah. farmers anymore. And and for us, we we we're taking that as a as an example to to guide our our, our decision making. For instance, uh, we are supporting the the farmers themselves at the supply side. You know, to make sure there's no boom for fonio we don't want a boom for fonio because a boom is always followed by a bust and that's when the farmers are suffering that's when the price go all over the place and that's what happened to quinoa and the price went all over the place and 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 now you have quinoa being grown in montana and you have quinoa grown in in texas in 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 ukraine you name it <laughs> and the farmers uh, and and the the chilean farmers and the peruvian farmers uh, i know they have unfair competition so we we have this aspect we 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 not only supporting the agriculture we have a percentage of our sales going directly in supporting research uh, teaching the training the farmers in better agricultural practices so that they have a higher supply working on the processing of fonio so that the waste is also diminished because 40% of fonio processing is gone to waste you know and that's that's something that because there's so much manual at the processing level so fixing it to completely eliminate the waste is feasible and that's what we're working towards and that's not only increasing the production it's increasing the production just by eliminating the waste it, it doubles almost the production by eliminating the waste so that's one that's one method we're doing it at the political level too we're working with uh, a regional organization to protect the name fonio for the region Fantastic. You know, that's <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So those are different ways to 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 protect uh, the environment and to protect the, the 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 heritage, the people who really deserve to 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 benefit from it because that's their heritage. 
that's really fantastic and you know the more I hear you talk about food I can hear your your chemistry and physics background is coming you know <laughs> into play a little bit but also your love of food is really connected to I guess what you might call social entrepreneurship so I'd love you to tell me a little bit more about you have a foundation that you set up with your partner the L and P foundation mm -hmm. would you yeah. tell me a little bit more about that and what you're working towards with that Oh, with uh, with Lisa, my partner, yeah. and uh, and 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 now the mother of my daughter. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> my daughter Naya was born two months ago, and uh, oh, congratulations! Thank you, thank you, and uh, so so really the the vision is to 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 make sure Naya grows up in a world a more just world you know food justice is very important to us and and food justice is something that should be a top priority especially these days when we think looking at um, what's happening here in the united states and and the what they call the food deserts you know it's all connected i mean we talk i'm just i just want to just get out of that food silos you know because there's silos but there's an interconnection with everything you know and that's a systemic systemic racism that exists you know and and for me making sure the 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 the, the um so-called minorities you know for the most part african-americans have who have who live in those food deserts don't have access to ingredients like fonio that which is their you know, Part of their heritage food because you know fonio has been cultivated like i said five thousand years and it was more widespread you know colonization is what uh, created that disruption and you have fonio now in just pockets of regions of, of west africa but it was more widespread like i'm not sure if you i mentioned but fonio was even found in pyramids you know that's yes. <laughs> The ancient, the ancient Egyptians would loved it so much that they would take it to the afterlife. So that's how how, how widespread it was, you know. And 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 the and the disruption came during colonization. Mm -hmm. And so so because our farming system was completely disrupted, we, we we favored, you know, cash crops like like cocoa and coffee and and peanuts. In the case of Senegal and 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 the farmers, you know. They, they just went, went where the cash was yeah. <laughs> so that that's what that's what happened and um, and crops like fonio just survived because of uh, different reasons uh, one is because it's one of the fastest growing crop it, grow, it grows in two months so the farmers know that they can rely on fonio when the other crops are not around you know they can rely on fonio that's the crop they can you know for survival when the the, the the rainy season is bad, they know Fonio will grow regardless. So those are the reasons. And there's a lot of different spiritual reasons behind it too. So so with the foundation, we want to make sure we support this mission of introducing these products, but in a way that's like holistic, in a way that really considered considers all the different actors, you know, from the beginning, the supply, all the way to the end, you know, it, we're not bringing this, these products just for uh, the whole food uh, shoppers, you know, yeah. those, those are privileged people. You know? So we want to make sure the people in 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 the communities, inner cities, you know, in Harlem, in 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 the hood, 
could have access to this food. They have access to no food that's nutritious. Mm -hmm. You know, they have access to, to fast food. And I need to correct when I say fast food. As a matter of fact, my restaurant, Teranga, is not a fast food restaurant. It's a fast casual restaurant. Ah, <laughs> thank you for the correction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I noticed that and I said, oh, oh. but uh, yeah, you said that earlier. It's a fast casual and, um, and, and it's, that's different. You know, we do serve food that's been cooked properly, slow food, as a matter of fact but nutritious and, and uh, you know, traditional African food, inspired traditional African food. And um, so this is the, the, the mission of the, the foundation is to make sure that food is accessible. And, and that goes beyond the food as well. There's, you know, there's different ways we are doing it. You know, we're partnering with different people. We, in the midst of conversation with other, other um, what you would call influencers, you know, including, um, and it's still a, it's still a conversation, but uh, a former football player recently re retired uh, from the NFL, Michael Bennett, who's a beautiful brother, you know, and uh, he's joining us with his foundation as well to do this similar, you know, to 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 bridge that gap, you know, he's coming from, of course, the African American side and 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 teaming with us coming from the African side, making it uh, the, this Africa without borders, which really also comes back to, to the name of Yolele. Yolele is a Fulani word. The Fulani, as you may or may not know, are the largest nomadic group in the world. Mm -hmm. And we want this to be about uh, no borders, transcending borders, because food transcends borders, being the, the best uh, way to transcend borders is to, to, to make it through food. So that's, that's what Yolele came to be. And that's what LNP is looking to be doing by transcending borders and making our food accessible and uh, to to all our communities fantastic well speaking of transcending borders um, there's always this joke about who started jollof rice first <laughs> there we go so, you want to go you want to go yeah, there <laughs> do we dare go there and say who started jollof first and also who makes the best jollof do we dare do we dare well, the, the first one is easy. The Senegalese started Jollof. Jollof means Senegal, right? Jollof is the, the traditional name for Senegal. Okay. And, uh, and that's why in Senegal, we don't call it Jollof rice. But in Ghana, it? it's Chebujan. It's our, it's our national dish. It's Chebujan. And, uh, and in Ghana, in Nigeria, they call it Jollof rice to connect it with the place of origin. So, so no, many people don't like to hear that, you know, some are, some are accepting it, but it's just as simple and logical, right? Who makes the best jollof though? That's, that's a good question. That's a good yeah. question that, you know, and I think that's the best war. The jollof war is the, the most beautiful of wars, you know, because it just, it just shows you there's something about Africans, you know, it's like there's, 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 there's this, um, cultural unity that exists, you know, and, and, and we, we, and that again, this one particular dish symbolizes it in a beautiful way, you know, and everyone will think they make the best jollof because everyone thinks their mother makes the best food. And, 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 and I, I had great jollof in Lagos. I had great jollof in Accra, you know, I had amazing jollof in Senegal, of course, you know, but, but, you know, it, Food is it's, a, it's an art form, you know, it's like a, it's like a, a painting, you know, you, you like it or you don't like it. It's just a, about a, a matter of taste, really. And you usually have your taste are like being shaped as you grow up. So, you know, Nigerians will think naturally that they make the best jollof. 
Although I had many Nigerian friends and chefs that I took to Senegal and recognized <laughs> that, they, that the, the jollof that they had was definitely the best in Senegal, you know, so, you. <laughs> so well, it's a matter of taste, really. Yeah, that's true. And also, I know some people, they use basmati rice, some people use long grain rice. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So there's different ways to, to, to gauge what's best, you know. In Senegal, oftentimes, we use broken rice. And, and broken rice is not the best rice because it's 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 less nutritious and and this is also another thing that we have from from colonization the broken rice that we use in senegal often came from southeast asia and it started during colonization when the french wanted senegalese farmers to focus on peanuts and do less fonio and millet mm -hmm. so they started to and since we cannot eat for the peanuts you know they started importing this broken rice from Vietnam. At the time, the French colonized Vietnam. They, they, it was called Indochina, Indochine. Mm -hmm. And so they, they colonized Vietnam and they noticed that the Vietnamese people, when they were processing their rice, there were there was leftovers, you know, the broken parts of the rice that the Vietnamese would give for animal feeds, you know, to their poultry and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's what the French decided to collect and bring to Senegal. Wow. And the Senegalese, obviously, because the French brought it, they embraced it. You know that, like, you know, it was really like colonization was was a trip. You know, so so we 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 embraced it, like we embraced many things that the French brought. Like I told you about the baguettes, the the the, the croissants, and the broken rice. And 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 right, we've been independent, I think, sixty years now or something. We are still importing broken rice because, and we not only we importing it, we made it the grain for our national dish. So our jollof started to use this broken rice. Wow. Now, we used to use another rice. We have a rice from Casamance actually, which is the African rice, the glaberima, which is a whole whole grain rice, like the same that they would use in, in Nigeria and, and, and Ghana, you know, even though they also started to use, you know, imported rice. But at least they used a whole grain rice as opposed to a broken rice from like the Senegalese. And our broken rice was just leftover rice, you know, after processing, it's just leftover. This tiny, it looks like couscous. It's just the debris of rice. It's the debris of rice that became our jollof rice. But it's delicious. It looks like almost like couscous. You know, it absorbs the flavor of the jollof in a way that's really amazing. So, and it cooks a bit faster. So all those things make our jollof particularly interesting you know but less nutritious mm. you know luckily you know they add other ingredients like lots of vegetables in our jollof you know you know the fish is stuffed with also interesting you know i don't know if you had the senegalese jollof but um yes i also, have you have oh, okay okay so how come you're asking who makes the best then <laughs> just I've kidding been, i've been <laughs> controversial <laughs> for the sake of it because it's always a controversial oh, okay. you know. <laughs> okay. So yeah, so that's uh, that's that's the the, challenge, the problem we have. You know, we are still we're still importing our, our broken rice. We're still importing, you know, uh, serving ourselves food that's not as nutritious as you know the, our traditional food, mm -hmm. because you know, I mean, there's politics. There's of course a big business, of course. You know, the, whoever is importing the rice, the broken rice, because Senegalese eat that jollof on a daily basis. So mm -hmm. they, you know, that's big business. It's big business. This again. 
food is not only political it's it's anthropological it's just so oh, many yeah. things it tells you so much about a nation because i didn't know that about um chibujian and and mm-hmm. you know vietnamese rice which has got then that's the colonial thing i mean it's quite profound what you're oh, yeah saying. <laughs> gosh i like to ask everyone um what lessons have you learned that you think we can learn from on your journey that you've been on Oh, for me, uh, I think the, the lesson I've learned, and, and it really uh, was taught to me in, in, while in New York, is uh, your culture is everything, really, you know, and, and my culture has played such a big role in, in my journey, you know, and, uh, and every time I'm looking for inspiration, I, I look back in my culture and that's you know and every from everything from the littlest thing you know the, the when it comes to food you know it could be the the the, the snacks that i had growing up the, the the food my mom would serve to me my or my grandma if i'm sick or all of it you know it's and it's there's no end to this well you know it's like you can i can find inspiration in my culture because this is something that's my heritage that's not there's a reason why it's called heritage you know that's you know why would you look down at that you know why won't you benefit from it that's something like generations of generations of generations of your people left for you that's what for you to use you know so i you know to me that's what i've learned you know before uh coming to new york i don't think i was as conscious of that you know i was just um, you know i was of obviously very much uh, from senegal with what i knew but realize being in this culture that was different than mine and 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 cold and and you know i could find uh support and warmth and and only by looking back and 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 thinking about where I was from and and just learning more about that, you know, and it's a, it's this it's an unending um, journey. Looking back, you know, and 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 taking pride in it as well, it's really inspired me. I, I'm not sure if I'm um, saying it as eloquently as you'd like, but it, it really is about the the culture and how it inspired me and how. I feel like without it, it would be a different journey, and I would be it won't be as fulfilling as how it's how it is right now. Yeah. It's I think I think you said it very eloquently and very very powerfully. It's funny. It reminds me because I think you know I, I realize how circular life is at times, and how we sort of even if we leave, who we are is always inside us. And I um, so my father is South African, and he um he was involved in politics during apartheid and he escaped South Africa and he he was released on bail and he escaped through Botswana, Tanzania, Mozambique, all the way until he got to the UK um, where he met my mother who's Jamaican. But my father used to run a lot as a ch- uh, when I was a child. I used to remember my father jogging all the time. And he said that when he, when they, the people that he escaped South Africa with, they jumped the border of Botswana, one of the people they were with, he just ran in the, into the night and he couldn't keep up with them. And my dad said, that will never be me. And that's how he got into running. And as an adult, I got into jogging. And I never made the connection between me and my father, but I just got into jogging and it's how I relax. And I recorded a song called Running about my experiences jogging, but we ended up filming the video in Johannesburg. Ah. 
so it's like I, I didn't make and it was only after we filmed the video and I wasn't kind of doing it on purpose. I just happened to be there. So I thought, let's just shoot this video here that how everything is circular. You know, I ran, I run because my father used to run. He left the, you know, he left South Africa for the reasons that he did, but I come back and I'm, I'm running in the very place that he left, you know? So mm. the way you're talking about food and, you know, you, you start in, in doing physics and chemistry, but your, your connection to your culture and your family and your mother and all of these things. And then you come to New York and, and then you end up bringing all of that stuff into what you're eating that even connects me to, to, to you and what you're doing because of the, because I've discovered Fonio and all of these things. And that is the power of food and how our stories are that I find incredible, you know? Yes, that's, that's beautiful. I'm so, so looking forward to listening to your music. This is like, this is really interesting, South African and Jamaican. I'm sure both of those cultures as well. I mean, rich, rich music cultures. I yes. mean, that's, uh, yes. Very. I, so, yeah. Very. I, lo I, I love to, to, to hear more about that. Another time, if you happen to be in the UK with your book, telling us about Fonio, your opening um, you know, you're going to be at Whole Foods in the UK or you come in, then, then we must, I must make sure that I see you. Or if I come to, to the New US, York, yeah, I'm definitely going to go to Taranga and yes, for sure. My last question that I like to ask everybody, what music are you listening to? Oh, wow. It's a very good question. So many different music. Um, I my I grew up with my father loved listening to jazz music. My father listened to classics, you know, like uh, Louis Armstrong and and uh, Jimmy Smith. Those are the classics, and that that set me on the path to, to to appreciating that music. And when I cook or when I I write, it's often that music in the background. But um, of course, uh, I grew up in a, in in the eighties, nineties, and and reggae music was a big part of my you know i mean it, it it guided me it gave me that 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 uh the rebel aspect in me as well you know i mean it's just you know it, it awakened many of us but uh but that's i still listen to it i still listen to those classics you know uh and uh yeah and and hip-hop is something that came to me when i was uh just new in in the u.s and those are the time where Public Enemy and, and Tribe Called Quest were, were there. Mm -hmm. and, and it was there for a moment. And it just, I didn't realize it, how deep it was until recently. And my daughter, taking my daughter in the morning for a dance, you know. And I, it just goes, I take us to so many different styles of music, you know. I take mm -hmm. her to, you know, West African music, of course, you know. And, and hip hop, she, she happens to like it, you know. We just, <laughs> and I play Tribal Quest, I play, I mean, Tupac, whatever. And, and she, she just, just loves me dancing with her on those, on those beats. So I'm very, you know, I listen to all types of music. My, my great uh, mentor was a, a jazz musician. I dedicated my last, my, my, my second cookbook to him. His name is Randy Weston. He, he passed two years ago now, but he was uh, one of my best friends, you know, I would spend, we, he lived around the corner from my Brooklyn restaurant. And, you know, we would spend, I would spend hours just listening to this older man. He passed at 94 years old, but right. he had like so much history. Uh, I mean, like just, 
you know, he grew up in America, you know, 94, you can imagine the kind of America he grew up in, you know, segregated and, and, uh, but he, he, he played, performed with, you know, Charlie Parker and like he has stories with Duke Ellington, you know, he has, I mean, so just spending time with him and listening to him and he was such an Africanist too, you know, he, he just, you know, he, he inspired me a lot and I listened a lot to his, about, uh, listened to his music and listened to the, the music of that time. So yeah, music is, is a big part of, of what I do. You know, I dream of a cookbook with a playlist, the next one I do, you know, cause I think, you know, I mean, you lately, we have a, a playlist, we have a, um, Spotify playlist that goes all over the place. That kind of tells you the kind of music I listen to. Mm, How about you? I return the question to you. Oh, the, the oh gosh. Well, funny because you're talking about West Africa and you're think you're talking to me about reggae. I'm now thinking of like Alpha Blondie that I love. Yeah, and yeah. He was a customer of my restaurant. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I mean, I still listen to Af- Alpha Blondie now and um, yeah, Tikin Jaffa, Kuli and Shake Low. Uh-huh. I love, love, Shake love. Shake Low is my man. <laughs> he played, she played at my restaurant. Really? Shake <laughs> Low played at Grand Dakar in Brooklyn twice. <laughs> I just, I mean, because I used to live in Paris, so I got, I got into a lot of that music because my, the French people I were around, they were just listening to all of this stuff. That's sort of, you know. So I love that. What am I listening? I'm listening to a lot of flamenco at the moment. Ah, there's great. some great, there's a guy called Jose Mercer and he's got an album called Aire. Okay, I wrote it down. Yeah, so I mean, and like there's a particular group, I think it's called Buleria, but it's just it's mm. fantastic. So I've been listening that you'll hear the 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 clapping. If you might as well be in West Africa or North Africa when you hear it. It's yeah, wow. But the most people forget that the most starts in West Africa from Mauritania, which is just north of Senegal. Mauritania, Morocco. I mean, the Moors, the translation of the Moors is really the black people. Mm. That's what Moors translate by to. So and 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 you see that you see the influences, you know, and but that's like the influences all of throughout the, that culture, especially the part, you know, you see in Valencia, for instance. Mm-hmm. Valencia is the part where rice was introduced to to Spain, you know, and the type of rice, the type of rice that was the African family rice. And 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 then the, their national dish, the Spanish national dish. Is a jollof rice, you know, the paella. Yeah, it's jollof. <laughs> <laughs> Not only is jollof, that's the only dish in Spain that they eat around the bowl, like they do in West Africa. The same concept of eating around the big bowl, the paella. That's exactly how they do it in Spain, and and that's the study in Valencia. And the, the, you can see the African influence through the food. But I'm so I'm not surprised that you see it in the music with the buleria you talk you just mentioned. You know, it's like it's, there's so many connections. But when you travel in history and you look at, you know, I mean, like you said, culture is like it's anthropological. All of it plays a role, and 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 you can see why certain things are you know <laughs> yes yes that's fantastic but Piatiam, thank you so much for your time i have learned a lot today i'm very grateful um and i hope to come to new york to come and eat in your restaurant as well and we need to get your cookbooks here as well so incredible incredible stuff so thank you so much you're welcome thank you so much and i hope to i'm looking forward to listening to your music and to listening to jose marseille as well 
Thank you again to Chef Pierre Thiam. That was a culinary history and anthropology lesson all in one. Please check out his company, Yolele Foods. If you're in the States, why not head to Whole Foods to buy some fognon? If you're elsewhere, his products are available on his website where you can also purchase his beautiful cookbooks. And if you're in New York, why not visit his restaurant, Teranga? You can follow Pierre Thiam and his companies on Instagram and all details are available in the podcast blurb. Holding Up the Ladder is available on numerous platforms, including Acast, SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher and Deezer. Please share, like, subscribe to the podcast, leave comments. You can also donate to the podcast. Just click the link below and you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Holding Up the Ladder, hashtag H-U-T-L. Next week, we're heading to South Africa, where I'll be speaking with photographer Leroy Jason. I'm going to watch my father and his peers just go on being unrecognized in our country as, as artists that have helped the helped revolution in a way of thinking and, and made statements for our country globally um, have not been recognized. And I, I watched them just go and die as paupers because they also miss the fundamental things about the art form being something that can still make money in our time. Until next time.